Hey everyone and welcome to Almost Cancelled, I am Peter and I'm going to be talking about Watchmen Season 1 Episode 2, it is called Martial Feats of Comanche Horsemanship. So, full spoilers for the episode, I am on my own for this episode, Tara did watch the episode, she was going to be here but she fell under the weather and instead of delaying the, the review further, uh, we made the choice for me to go solo uh, and she'll be back for Episode 3. So apologies, this is a little bit later than usual, but we are going to dig into this. I actually watched the episode a second time and took notes to make sure that the standard of this was as in-depth as you typically expect and like from us, and I'm going to dive straight in. The, the episode kind of, barring a flashback at the start, kind of picks up where the last one left off, but uh, the flashback takes us to Germany uh, during, I assume, the First World War. For two reasons. One, just because of the timeline um, of the of the other events, the Tulsa massacre. Uh, but also because I don't see Adolf Hitler's uh, generals making the... Uh, I mean, unless they're just straight-up lies and they're, they're just, um, you know, blatant propaganda that they'll, 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 they won't uphold. But, um, you know, because we, we see this, this, this German general, whoever... Um, having the one sort of girl in the the office who, who speaks english typing up uh, a, a flyer that they're going to drop um on the on the the allied forces uh, specifically to the black troops who will will read it and maybe almost they're trying to sway them away from uh, fighting for for their side they're saying hey you're not treated very well um in the west you know, we actually treat our black people very well. There's people in Berlin who have who have businesses. There's all these things, um, and of course we we see one uh, one of the white soldiers spit on the on on the guy's face, uh, who turns out to be you know he was the father of the kid from last episode, the kid who who we now know is called Will from this episode, um, and it turns out that this 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 flyer is actually the bit of paper that he wrote his uh, message. You know, take care of this boy on so. That's kind of how we start the episode. It kind of leads us back in to Old Man Will sitting there at the tree from last episode. Angela, you know, rolls up and we start basically straight from there. There we go. Although one little point I want to make about that first uh, flashback scene is that when they were speaking in German, I did note that the subtitles were in the Watchmen font, which was kind of neat. So that was kind of cool. But the, uh, yeah, so she grabs him and takes him to her bakery. Um, obviously doesn't believe uh, that he is the one who killed Judd, that he strung him up on the tree, even though he claims he did multiple times. He's, she's like, no, you're like 90 something years old. He's like, no, actually I'm 105. And uh, yeah, and you know, there's, there's back and forth, there's some great beats here where, you know, she she, she kind of like puts the coffee pot on and she's, she's going to give him a drink of coffee, but she, she goes into her like back room, her, her cave, if you will, uh, where all the weapons are stored, and she has this like quiet moment where she just kind of gets angry and leans against the door. But this great thing where the music really kind of... The music, again, is fantastic in this episode as it was in episode one. And it kind of kicks in. There's, there's like two or three moments in this episode where it very much directs the the direction of the scene because it always seems to kick in when a decision has been made, specifically by Angela, to go into action or to uh, just change how she's thinking about something at that given point in time. And she you know, basically suits up. She makes the choice to sort of, like, contain her emotions and suit up, get get her, her suit on, because now it's time to go to work. Now it's time to be uh, a cop or a vigilante, whatever you want to call it. 
and she puts on her on her face paint, puts on her hood, all that stuff. And she comes back out in time for the coffee brewing, and obviously it ends up in a bit of a tactic by her because she she immediately puts it in a plastic bag after he's taken a couple of sips. Uh, so we we get the sense this is for evidence. This is to check his fingerprints, perhaps, or as we find out later, his DNA specifically. So no, uh, really good beats that we're playing there. Um, he just keeps repeating the line, "I'm the one who strung strung up your your chief of police." Uh, even she's like, "No, you didn't." Like, you know, and he claims like, "Maybe I'm Manhattan. Maybe I'm Doctor Manhattan." You know, he can move. You know, I can move things with my mind. And she's like, "Nah, you can't." Because at one point he asked for his pills that he had in his pocket, and she's like, "Well, use your powers then to just bring them on over." And he's like, "Okay, fine. I'm not Doctor Manhattan." But you know, he he's very he's very friendly. Um, not very forthcoming, but very friendly and calm in his entire demeanor, uh, which is very, very interesting. And it, I think it's obviously worth pointing out that Angela does not call this in. In fact, Angela gets a call at the end of the scene uh, to tell her about Judd and reacts with shock, reacts as if she doesn't already know, and does not tell them about Will. So, you know, that's where she kind of leaves the scene. That's how the scene ends. And I, 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 it's a very interesting way for her to play this. Like, there's something about him that makes her want to do this off the book, like away from the scrutiny of everyone else to see what's going on before she actually turns it in. So that choice is very interesting for her character, I think, and something that we'll maybe come back to as we as we go through this. But um, before we actually get to the crime scene again uh, with Judd, uh, we actually we have a newsstand kind of segment where we have this delivery guy, you know, coming in, like you know, dropping off the newspapers, and we get the news news agent who's kind of just commenting on, um, on, on the news. He's commenting on on uh, on what's what's his face? Oh God, Redford. Yeah, he's commenting on Redford, and he's he's commenting on the other, you know, these the opposition, and he's like, so I f both of them, blah blah blah. Um, and he talks to this little girl who who's buying papers for for presumably her mother, because she says, because uh, he says, you know, does she really read all this stuff? Because uh, he gives her a big stack of papers. So we're interested in some new characters here, and obviously it, it can't not be mentioned that in the comic book there is a running set of characters who who are a newsstand as a as a newsstand agent and then there's also the guy who's always reading the comic uh which we also follow along in the the book so uh clearly while or not this is going to be a recurring thing i expect it probably will be we'll probably see this news agent maybe a few times over the course of the season maybe not every episode but i can definitely see it coming back to him a few times maybe when they're going to react to something that's in the paper uh, and get his kind of every man kind of thoughts on it but uh, very again, very sort of stylistically, just making it feel a bit more like Watchmen, which was kind of neat. Uh, there's a few things again, again in this episode, much like episode one, that kind of do that. So then we uh, we go to the crime scene, like I said, um, and Looking Glass gets in the car, uh, or I think was his what was his regular name, Wade. Um, he gets in the car, uh, and again, uh, the visual here is right out of Watchmen of uh, Rorschach eating, I think it's beans in the the book. Um, but he, you know, he says, "Have you got any food?" And she's like, "There's some nuts in the the the, the glove box." And he like just puts up his mask up to his nose and just sort of sits there eating. It's also very Spider Man, actually. <laughs> Spider Man does this a lot. He kind of pushes her buns a little bit, you know. He she she feels that she's been interrogated f- for a start, 
Um, and he also kind of makes a dig where he says, your kids, you know, because she mentions that her, her kids were there and he says, your kids, you know, kind of like, you know, kind of poking at it, like saying, not really your kids, you know, I've dropped my pen. Hold on. <laughs> I'm playing with my pen while I'm doing a review. Um, but no, he, he kind of like pushes that button. So obviously her kids being white, we suspected last episode that there's going to be a story here about her adopting these kids or something. And this is kind of another hint. We, we get to it more properly later in the episode, but this moment for sure is kind of like our first thing. And it's all, it's also, you know, it's, it's a, like I say, it's a button. He pushes this button. Uh, it's something that bothers her. So, um, and whether that's because she hates the, you know, I, I think it's clear from the later scene, but you know, at this point in the episode, I was thinking, is this because she feels insecure about the fact that she can't have her own kids or is, or is this because of where these kids come from? And I think it's definitely the latter given uh, the flashback that we get in a little bit. But yeah, so he does mention that he's crying under the mask. She says that he's a cold, 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 cold man. I said cold like five times there. He's a cold hearted man. And he's like, then why am I crying under this mask? And we don't see it, of course. It's completely mystery. So we have to question, is he telling the truth? He doesn't sound like he's crying. <laughs> I mean, that's for sure. Uh, but then that's maybe the kind of the point, right? Is that we can't tell. That's the whole point of these masks is that it's hiding things. It's, it's putting things behind layers. And I think hiding behind things is definitely a theme of this episode. Uh, something we'll get to with Judd uh, a little bit later, but the reveal that comes from his house. Uh, a little bit of world building here I loved was that those paparazzi show up trying to get like photographs of the crime scene, but they come in in like Mothman style like flying apparatus. Like they've got these wings that are kind of you know flirting around, and because one of them like sort of malfunctions and lands in the car, and they get out and uh, the the red guy, uh, red, there was state. Uh, whatever his name was, Red Scare. That's what Red Scare. He he, you know, was beating the show. One of them, um, and one of them calls him a Nazi, and he's like, "I'm not a Nazi. I'm a communist." And it's the way he says it really cracked me up. But no, it was just it was just a visual of this again. It, it felt like, hey, this is how we can make it feel like Watchmen. Here's some of the little satirical elements that will make this kind of pop. Uh, and this was definitely definitely in that line. So, yeah, so. A little touch at the end here that I really like, a little emotional beat that really worked for me, is they, they basically decide, okay, we have to get him down, we can't leave him up in the tree, and they're going to get him, and, and Angela puts her arms around him to hold, to pick him up, so I help hold him up. But it kind of turns into a hug, or it's kind of an accidental hug, where she's like, oh wait, I'm hugging, and it becomes this emotional beat, as opposed to just the, the sort of the the somber kind of atmosphere that it was like it becomes this kind of emotional moment where she realizes she's hugging her, her dead friend and that's what leads into the flashback uh where it cuts to her hugging uh cal her husband and it's christmas and as soon as i saw it was christmas i immediately because one of the things i don't know if we mentioned the actual name last week uh but it was in the previously on so it was in my head when, when i was watching the episode is this idea that the, the night that everyone was attacked all the police officers were attacked was called the white knight and it's hard not to think of Christmas when you think of that. Um, and obviously there's the racial connotation as well, given who the you know the perpetrators are all these white racist people. But um, they're at Christmas, so I immediately kind of assumed this is what the flashback was. Is where we're going to get kind of the backstory to this, the origin of this. And 
we do you know and they're being kind of loving uh, there was actually one shot on my first viewing that i thought was hinting that she was pregnant at the time you know early pregnancy uh, i wasn't actually convinced on the second viewing i think it was just focused on their hands but it's because they were over her stomach it was making me think she might be pregnant but uh, and she might have lost a baby in this uh, attack uh, i don't know if i actually think that anymore um although i would definitely suggest that being shot in the stomach probably has something to, to do with them not having uh, any of their own biological kids. I mean, I, I may be jumping to assumptions there, because uh, clearly it becomes uh, suggested, at least, that, that them adopting these three kids is not because, necessarily not because they couldn't have their own kids. Um, it's because these kids didn't have parents anymore, and as we find out, uh, their parents, uh, one of their parents anyway, was her partner. So this was someone who, this, this is kids who were a close friend, uh, who to pass away on this night, this white night event. Uh, it's really well shot. This though, uh, the you know the, we have Rorschach guys sort of breaking into the house. Um, Cal's kind of dismisses it as like, oh, maybe Santa's like on the roof or something, and she's like, no, no, someone's in the house. Uh, there's a great little game of cat and mouse where she's hiding around the kitchen counter and she takes out the guy, uh, but then she gets shot immediately. Like the, the the pacing of it's really well done. So that so the gunshot that takes her down actually does come as a bit of a shock. It's a bit of a jump scare moment almost. And we don't actually see how she gets out of this. So she's she's down for the count, and the guy's like standing over her with a shotgun. We don't see how she gets out of this, and it does make me, you know, I think we'll come back to maybe some speculation on this, uh, based on where we go with a revelation later. But she wakes up in the hospital, and Judd's sitting there with a, a sling on his arm, and you know we find out Cal's okay, uh, that he had been here at the hospital, but Judd sent him home because he'd been here for days waiting for her to wake up. And this is where she finds out, along with us, that, uh, you know, they went after, like, everyone in the station or the division or whatever, and they had their names and addresses. There's people resigning all over from the force. Obviously, this is what leads to her resigning as a cop, quote-unquote, and becoming this uh, sister knight who works off the books, uh, but still on the books. You know, it's kind of this weird thing. But... They kind of bond a little bit where, you know, she's like, I'm not quitting, damn it, I'm going to stay and fight. And he's like, well, I guess I'm not quitting either. So it's, it's this bonding moment of friendship, this, like, how he was there. This is also where she finds out that her partner was been murdered and the three kids have been left on their own. Uh, and we also get a hint that Topher, the older boy that we met last episode, kind of looked after his two sisters. Like, he kind of grabbed them and hid and kind of kept them safe. So... Uh, which I thought was a neat little touch. It kind of made me... Not that I disliked Topher before, but it, it immediately gave me something to really like about this kid. That even at his young age, he was able to kind of be the big brother and kind of, like, take care of his siblings. There was kind of a neat little touch to that, I thought, uh, in this scene. The, the, the scene plays out really well on the first viewing. Um, I think what's interesting is watching it a second time, given what happens later, it was making me really second-guess um, just how convenient... Perhaps it is that Judd also survived. Because uh, as he points out, most of the cops were killed because uh, they were asleep. You know, they weren't prepared. They weren't, well, no one was prepared, but you know, they were especially, you know, vulnerable because they were asleep. And obviously, you know, we, we have a whole bit in the, the scene where they're dancing by the tree, you know, with, with Cal and Angela, where, you know, they're kind of flirting. He's kind of joking about the fact that he wants to open his present at midnight and she won't let him. And... You know, obviously, there's nothing unreasonable about someone being up at midnight. In fact, it's coming from me especially. I'm frequently up way past midnight. I'm kind of a night person. But that is kind of, you know, it's kind of 
I just it made me question things a little bit. It was you know it almost made me think that they say Judd actually is evil. They say Judd actually is one of them. He's actually one of the the cavalry. I felt like you know this is kind of part of a setup. It's almost like he was here not just to look out for her, but to actually make sure to see what she knows when she woke up. Uh, that he you know get injured himself to make it make it look like he'd also been attacked. Um, kind of thing, which may not be true. I mean, this is the thing. I think everything here is plausible, but because I was thinking on a second viewing of him not being trustworthy, I was looking at how this looks kind of set up, that he conveniently survived, just has one kind of relatively minor injury, and now he looks like more loyal than ever to the to the, to the, the cause, if you will. You know, he looks like a, a loyal uh, soldier in arms to Angela. And you know, not that I necessarily think that was the goal, but given that she somehow survived, um, that said, though, like I was saying earlier, we don't see how she gets out of the situation. She's 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 down for the count. She's been shot already. Um, the guy's standing over with a shotgun. Now it could be as simple as Cal saves her. You know, Cal was in the house and he's charged them and saved her. Uh, but let's say for, for you know for speculation's sake that what if he was not supposed to kill her? What if he he let her live? because it was under Judd's orders. Um, or if it was even Judd himself who was standing over her, perhaps. Hmm? Uh, and he just couldn't do it, because despite his beliefs, potentially, if, if what we see later is true, then maybe he couldn't go through with it, because he does actually... He's, you know, he's, he's become attached to her. He, he sees her as a person, and he couldn't go through with it. There was, it was too personal and human for him to, to go through with it. Um, and, you know, if that's the case, then was this something he gave up after that? You know, did he, did he leave the cavalry, um, and, or was he still with it despite this? Who knows? But, yeah, and again, that, that's just gonna, that's just, just speculation, you know, based on what we see later being true. It may not be, you know, maybe her, her questioning later if it was a, a you know, planted to frame him to, to mess with her head. Uh, that could be true. Uh, but for drama reasons, it is quite interesting if it isn't, you know, if, if, uh, if, you know, if he really was this, it really opens up some doors from a dramatic point of view, especially if we keep getting more flashbacks with him and seeing kind of how he was with her, uh, under this, you know, cause like I said, this scene for me played differently just watching the episode a second time. I can't imagine what's flashbacks going forward. If we keep getting flashbacks, we'll have this underlying sort of thread of, is he working against her here? Is there an ulterior motive? And that adds something to those scenes, I think, going forward. And it already added to this one just for a rewatch. Never mind um, whatever they're going to do going forward, knowing that people will already have this in their head. So, that's really cool. Uh, so, yeah, but it's really it's really uh, emotional because it cuts to him in the body bag and they're zipping him up. But yeah, Red Scare is determined to go to Nixonville, whether or not that's the name of the trailer park or not, or if that's just what, you know, well, obviously that's what they're calling it, but what I mean is, is that the real name of this place? Do, do these people actually refer to their their trailer park area as Nixonville, or is that just the nickname that it's got because of who lives there and because they've got a giant statue of Nixon? Uh, very caricature-esque uh, statue of Nixon as well. Uh, and, you know, Angela's kind of like, hey, maybe we should take a moment and breathe, but everyone else has gone ho, so she's like, okay, fine, let's go. Uh, and we have this whole scene where they threaten to pull down the statue if anyone refuses to come and be questioned, and of course they, they refuse immediately, so they end up getting into a big fight. Angela en ends up trying to stay out of it, but ends up fighting someone anyway, because, 
uh, looking glass gets attacked. So, but ultimately she goes back to the car and again, she's kind of having this moment. It's just like at the start of the episode, she's having a moment to be emotional and then she notices the cup in the plastic bag that she got from Will on the dashboard and the music, again, this is the second time the music kicks in, the, the pulsing and it's like, no, she's got it in her head now. She knows what she wants to do and we move on. And she goes to, I mean, I wrote I wrote down museum. That's not quite accurate, but it, it kind of looked and felt like a museum because it has like exhibits on, it has like, you know, information booths and kind of things like that. But this is actually where she's going to test the DNA. She's not going within the police station. She's going to this thing. Um, we find out that there's a Redford sort of race, racist victims benefit of some kind that is there for people who were part of the Tulsa Massacre or the descendants of the, the Tulsa Massacre. And... Uh, she, you know, she swabs the the inside of the cup. Uh, I love the uh, the video that was sort of cutting around based on what it was having to say to her, because uh, it was like you know once it, once she put in the name Will, it kind of cut to like a pre recorded segment of him just saying that name, and then it cut back to the the overall speech. I thought it was a nice little kind of rough around the edges presentation to it, which made it really feel very feel real, made it feel clunky in a good way. Yeah, so so she gives him a, a number to contact uh, the, the computer that is and. It's like, okay, there we go. Uh, but it just explains a little bit uh, what this is and that it's going to try and figure out if he has any descendants or uh, even who his ancestors are, if that's relevant. And of course, we expect it will be relevant. So that comes back later in the episode. Then we go back to her house where we we find uh, Bobby from Supernatural sitting on the porch, <laughs> Jim Beaver. Uh, I'm going to... Sp- I mean, he clearly is someone who's related to the kids and has visitation rights or or maybe joint custody is a better term he's, he's got weekends or, or certain days here or there uh but she pays him off to go uh, i'm going to assume maybe their grandfather uh presumably there's a reason why he didn't just get custody in the first place maybe he was seen as an unfit guardian and that's why they were able to sort of win out but uh probably an important character we're introduced here um cal's playing with the kids but uh, fighting tells Angela that there's a a, a, th- a gathering at Jane's, uh, awake if you will, and she's like, okay, I'm going to have to go to this. Uh, but she goes up to talk to Topher, who is kind of the main kid of the three that we've kind of been getting to know a little bit, and he's actually got this kind of cool thing. He's he's uh he's like doing like a 3D model that's like magnetic and it's kind of floating, so it's kind of futuristic. But it like the the the, the raw model of it seems kind of interesting. He actually smashes it all at the end. Uh, which also looked kind of cool, to be honest. But this is this is Angela telling him that Judd is dead, and he looks like he's taking it hard for like a second, and then basically starts looking very sociopathic with, with the way he refuses to respond. But then kind of flips back again, and it's it's almost like he's um kind of taking this from the world around them, but certainly from Angela. And Angela even points out that they they both have like a history of going through something bad that they have. They have, you know, this rose tinted, these rose tinted glasses that other people have about the world. That everything's, you know, rainbows and cheery. They don't have that, and she kind of, you know, compares the two of them. He does follow up though by saying that, you know, don't don't tell the girls, don't tell his sisters. I'll deal with that tomorrow. And you know, this kid's not that old. This 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 kid's what like eleven, twelve, something like that, if that. And he's saying, no, let me tell my younger sisters. And she's like, okay. And she, you know, she she sort of lets him have that responsibility he 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 takes that so um and despite the fact he claims he you know or he's acting like he doesn't care like it's not affecting him he doesn't you know he's not, he's not emotional about it he does 
like I said, smack his model and, you know, shatters it into pieces. This is like someone, like, tipping their jigsaw puzzle or something. <laughs> like, he's clearly acting out. And it does make me think of Angela a lot, the way she kind of has been acting out here or there, but has been trying to keep it cool and been trying to, like, stay focused and not lash out, you know? And I don't think it's so much that he's taking this from her in a motherly way, more that the it's what she said before about them both going through similar experiences and they're, they're both kind of um jaded they're, they're both kind of broken by the system and what they've went through uh, so they react similar uh to each other and these kind of situations that's, that's how i read it anyway so hold on page two of my notes here we go america hero story as as angela's getting ready to go um we have topher getting ready to watch tv and we actually cut around between him and looking glass and uh, some of the rorschach you know cavalry people and maybe one or two other people as well, uh, as this American hero story, which I don't think we actually mentioned in the first review, uh, that this TV show that was it was promoted a couple of times within the, the universe of this, is obviously it's, a, it's, a, it's their take on American crime story or American horror story, but it's like this uh, supposedly true story of some of the Minutemen um, back in the day, and we actually get to watch some of it, and I, I was kind of speculating last episode that maybe the flashbacks to the 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 kid might be kind of this show's version of the the tales of the black freer um but it may actually be this though it actually make a lot more sense if it was this tv show because uh, we get like a full couple of scenes of it we get this introduction of this character uh who says the body is found in the waters ralph miller because there's like a dead body floating and the authorities there's all these you know all these paparazzi with their, their old flashbulb ca- flashbulb cameras sorry and he, but he noticed that that's not who he really is. He just wanted people to think he was dead and he's got a real name, but you won't find that out till the end. So you'll keep watching kind of thing. And we get this scene where these crooks, these old-timey crooks go into a grocery store to rob the place. And I loved how pulpy was this was shot. It was shot differently from the rest of the episode. Where you have, like, as soon as the guy holds up his gun to see this as a stick-up, even the fact that he's shooting it as a stick-up is very pulpy. But he, the camera does this thing where it kind of lowers its angle and tilts to a Dutch angle. It kind of sort of pulls back and looks up at uh, an angle. And it just feels very kind of animated in that sense. Uh, I also loved how kind of violent this whole scene was. Uh, first of all, the bad guy shoots the, the cashier's ear uh, when he says there's no safe. Uh, and just as things are about to get very dark, uh, in comes this this superhero, this this vigilante who has like a red cloak, he has like a black or navy blue hood, although notably the hood is pointed, which I think given that we're dealing with a lot of race things here in this show, we're doing a lot of race, racial topics, a lot of racial tension, um, the hood did remind me of a clan hood. It wasn't white, but it's hard not to see that pointed hood and not think of that. Um, but you know, this guy is violent as shit. He, he bashes like one of the, one of the criminals heads off the, off the counter, uh, repeatedly, uh, so it was entertaining to watch and i'm kind of looking forward to seeing more of this and sort of see how it relates in um you know this idea i think here of this this scene if i was to analyze it and say what does this rep because obviously uh the the freighter story and watchman was all constantly kind of like tying into at least ozymandias story and if anything here i feel like this is a success of violence here and we know that we know that the vigilantes in this world, uh, the ones we've met, are all very excessively violent. Even Angela, who seemed to be keeping a cool head this episode, did torture someone behind a closed door last episode for information. So, 
I, I feel like it's maybe tying in in that way, this idea of the, the, the vengeance of it. Um, the narration from the, the hero also talks about how the mask is kind of there to like, like he, he always felt there was someone different inside of him and he basically wore, put on the mask to give a, a skin, a suit to that personality uh, and then felt at home as it were. And, you know, I wonder, like, this this burning rage inside, you know, is this the sort of same thing that we're, we have with these other characters? Does Angela have this this burning uh, anger inside that has to be unleashed uh, in, in this kind of controlled way uh, for her to sort of keep sane? Because she has this, not just strive for justice, but, you know, whatever's happened to her in her past, you know, not only the White Knight, maybe, maybe that's, I mean, yeah, maybe the White Knight is the inciting incident for her, because we know that's literally what, what leads to her becoming a hero in the sense that she puts on the mask and all that because she has to retire from being a cop. So in that sense, you know, is that, is the anger over that, over that night, is the, is her, you know, sacrifice, the, 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 the loved ones dying of that night, much like a Batman or whoever else, is that the the catalyst for this monster side of her that needs the vengeance that she has to put on the mask to sort of give that a voice to give that a personality? So, no, really good. Uh, I like I like this scene a lot. Uh, but then she arrives at the party. There's Angela back in present day. Well, obviously the TV show wasn't in the well, it wasn't set in the past, but it was a TV show. You know what I mean? Uh, so we meet this senator Joe Kane. Uh, I'm just pointing him out. Uh, he does have a weird moment here where he says to Angela, you know, we'll make sure uh, you guys have every, all the resources you need to catch these people. And Angela kind of awkwardly has to remind them that she's not in the police force anymore, she retired. And it kind of gives you the impression that he knows who she is, uh, or at least assumes who she is, and has caught himself in a faux pas. He's not supposed to talk about that. Um, that was the way I took it anyway. Could, 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 could veer a little bit. Um, but Angela f- uh, faints. She she gets dizzy and falls down, and we, you know, it's all a bit of a ruse. And again, this was the third big one that I really liked. Is that you know Jane's with her, you know, the widow of Judd, and she's saying, "Oh, I love you," and you know, keep yourself comfortable, you know. And she's been all nice, but as soon as she leaves the room, Angela's eyes open and snap to the left, and the music comes in, and you, and it's that, that's the moment. That's what I love about this moment is this is the moment you realize it was fake. That this was a ruse to achieve something and she puts on these cool uh, like x-ray goggles <laughs> which have like these red lights around the uh around the uh, the lenses and really really cool visual of her walking through the dark with these goggles on and she's looking around the closet and she does indeed find um something she finds a mannequin who, uh, hidden behind a closet she finds access to behind her sure enough we find a clan outfit uh, the white hood, the whole the whole shebang, and it's kind of this really sort of dark moment that's uh, kind of earth-shattering for her, and obviously something that she doesn't want to believe. And you know, but if you remember back last episode, we really focused uh, when he was in that room on the photo of him and presumably his father on the counter for sure. But we definitely focused in that room, and there was dark music playing accompanying it. So. Definitely feels like the show was hinting at something even then about this room and about what was contained within. So, very interesting. And it does it does uh, present the idea, because once again, earlier in the episode, uh, Will did say that he had skeletons in his closet. Um, although, as he amusingly points out later when we go back to him, uh, he didn't mean that literally. He just meant <laughs> he just meant he had secrets. Uh, but also, we end up uh, this scene in a horse painting that's on his wall, because Angela leaves. 
and we kind of transition from that these horses to the horse that uh Vite is riding on or Vite is riding on um but uh, again the imagery here of like three white horses and one black horse not hard to kind of see what the show's doing there so we go to ozymandias and he seems to be celebrating his birthday again this seems to be something that the clones or robots uh like to do uh, obviously this episode kind of confirms that they're one or the other uh because we find out there's lots of them we get revealed by the end of the play that there's duplicates which is good because ozymandias is is burning through them apparently i actually laughed out loud because this play that he's got them doing is actually reenacting the creation of dr manhattan he has you know, uh, him as a human uh, with uh, with Janie, and he's like, "Oh, I love you." Oh, I have to go into the uh, the chamber, and he gets trapped in there. And I laughed out loud when Jeremy Irons like dips over his chair and like has a plunger. He has a, like a, a detonator plunger, and it actually sets the the, the 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 Mr. Phillips that he has on fire, and it's kind of brutal. And I wasn't even sure if uh, uh, Miss Crookshanks, who's the who's the lady robot. Uh, when she was crying on stage, I wasn't sure if she was actually genuinely upset that her, uh, you know, co-worker or brother or whatever you want to call him is being burned alive. And it's really horrific. And, uh, of course, we do get a, a Dr. Manhattan. We have a second uh, Phillips, although we find out they're not all called Phillips, but as, a, as one of them does become the new Phillips. Uh, but we have a naked version of him and painted in blue. It was hard not to crack some Arrested Development jokes at this point, um, doing my uh, You Blew Yourself stuff. Um, but we have a naked, cock and all, uh, version of him that descends from the, the rafters, wearing a very cartoony Dr. Manhattan mask, but his rest of his body is just naked and painted blue. And... Yeah, this was this was riveting stuff to watch. Like watching Jeremy Irons get excited about this and like cheer them on and say bravo and uh, you know yell at them. You know that one time that she kind of forgot her lines and all that stuff. Like all of it was very entertaining. And the very dark humor of him just burning the uh, the Phillips are, uh, alive, like he's that disposable. And then picking a new Phillips, saying that yeah, the basement will be fine to dump his body, but then having to pry out the watch from his hands. He's having to like you know break his fingers open to get his watch back. All really dark and amusing. I was having a blast. <laughs> I've got a dark sense of humor though, so that that makes sense. Just who I am. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was uh, that was basically that scene. Although I do want to point out one line that he had here. He said to. He said to uh, Phillips about putting the body in the basement, he said, uh, we'll have use for him before too long, implying that he will have a use for all these dead bodies. That he's well, first of all, they've done this before. There's lots of dead Phillips in the basement. Secondly, there's going to be a use for them at some point. I wonder if that's because he's reenacting different parts of the, the story of Watchmen and he's going to reenact the, the, you know, the dead city and he wants lots of dead bodies lying around. Pardon me pardon me again um so that was my first thought but it could be something more sinister than that not that having all these dead bodies isn't already super sinister because it very much is uh you know he even has them say the lines as well he says nothing ever ends uh in the play does the manhattan character so i just wanted to point that out because again from the comic fun stuff uh and then we go to essentially the final scene of the episode which is back at the bakery angela comes back uh to find that will has been is uncuffed is making eggs and to do so he had to actually go across the street to the the store and get some eggs uh so he came back 
and he she says why did you come back why didn't you leave and he's like because i've still got stuff to talk to you about there's still stuff to uh you know get on here and she says you know did you frame judd uh he kind of mocks her and says how could i go up the stairs and do that you know so on and so on uh well you did string him up in the tree didn't you so oh yes i did you're right um again kind of playing that kind of back and forth um sort of obviously you didn't do this someone helped you kind of thing but uh the phone goes and it's the dna uh results from the uh the benefits place and you know the phone call says like hey if you've got any names of people you would like to check to see if you because we've got two descendants and two two ancestors would you like to uh, say any names and we'll tell you if they're correct she says her own name and the voice says that angela is his granddaughter so we have this reveal here uh, that Will is her grandfather, and this uh, d- does make things interesting. Uh, it played like a really nice little beat. Uh, the the shock in her face, without sort of trying to reveal it too much for his sake, because she wants to cut, keep that you know keep the emotion out of it and keep her stern face, her game face on, uh, worked really well. I thought Regina King did very well here in this scene. Uh, the acting really sold the moment. Yeah, she says, why are you here? And Will says, oh, I wanted to show show you where you came from, implying that he knows. So it's not like he didn't know who she was. Like, he seems to know that this is his granddaughter. Uh, and as soon as he says that, she actually says you're under arrest and she tries to take him out to the car. And what I really liked about this, first of all, from the motivation point of view, is that as soon as it's like prodding at her feelings, she immediately just goes into work mode and says, no, I'm arresting you. You know what, this has been on long enough. I'm arresting you. But the second thing I really liked is if you remember back when she was taking Judd off the tree, we had this kind of accidental hug moment. This kind of happens here again, uh, where she has to pick him up off the wheelchair to put him in the car, and as she picks him up, she realizes she's hugging him, and it's kind of this weird moment of hugging her grandfather she never knew she had, or at least she, at least she never met. Obviously, she knew she had a grandfather at some point, but <laughs> but that's how that's how life works. But she's clearly never met him before, and this is kind of an emotional beat. She pauses for just a moment. And I like that it kind of did this with two kind of father-slash-grandfather figures uh, in the episode, both of whom she doesn't know now if she can trust, you know? Uh, she thought she could with one of them at the start, uh, you know, because it was like at the start of the episode, it was like one she could trust and one she definitely couldn't. And by the end of the episode, she's conflicted about which one she can actually trust, if either. And I thought that was, I thought that was quite interesting kind of beat uh, throughout the episode. So I, I like that symmetry, that, that book ending with the, the earlier scene. Um... But of course, um, as 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 she's putting him in the car, uh, a giant magnet descends from some sort of ship. I don't know why I quite say it's a spaceship, but it could be, and carries the car away. Uh, which goes back to him saying that if if she did arrest him, he said that he would be he would be freed because he has friends in high places. That was the exact wording: friends in high places. And then we have a ship literally pick him up with a magnet when he's in the car and she just kind of looks up and says what the f uh, as the uh, leaflet the the little flyer uh, that he has with the message on it um lands you know in her hand and she looks at it and just says what the f and that's the end of the episode so yeah who are these people who are working with will uh i am fascinated fascinated by the prospect um is this other watch many characters is this like night owl and stuff is this is this aliens? Is this someone else? Is this a whole new group that we can't possibly predict? I am fascinated by this. And obviously, Angela's reaction to it was great too. Um, 
really really entertaining stuff i i think uh this episode again was really strong i think it added the whole you know reveal the grandfather thing and that could have been something that on paper you could have told me and i'd be like yeah okay whatever it's not really that big a deal finding out someone's related to someone else isn't a huge deal in tv anymore it happens all the time but i think the the acting especially the performance sold it so well um and i liked that it came from a place where she considered the possibility you know it wasn't like it completely blindsided her she actually suspected that that's possible so then that's why she said her name that's why she asked the question uh of course the emotion of hearing the answer still hit her still hit her like a, a shock but the you know she did think of it and i like that a lot so uh and you've got this this uh ozymandias stuff is really interesting i i'm really excited about uh the weird sense of humor that stuff has uh what is he up to if anything is it a real thing or is he just crazy and reliving his his story <laughs> because he has nothing else to do with his time i don't know uh really interesting yeah i didn't even mention the, the the little moment where he uh uh he he ate a tomato that was uh dangling off the tree he he came in and he was on his horse and he, he, he took one bite and just just squished the rest in his hand um, it was hard not to think of that representing the planet because of how badly he seemed to mess up the planet last time. So, really interesting stuff. Really interesting stuff. Um, I'm excited going forward, but um, I think the mystery has thickened. I have grown more interested into Angela's character. I think the flashbacks were a really good idea. Uh, Topher now has a bit more of an interesting character. You know, the eldest son... Uh, her and Cal's relationship has a bit more of a, a, a bit more weight to it, given what they've went through now, and of course we have the ongoing uh, mysteries on there, and the American uh, hero story part I really enjoy. I thought that was so fun and pulpy, which really ties into Watchmen and the idea of the Minutemen, because because when you read Watchmen, the Minutemen are the pulpy section, and then all the stuff in the present day is the gritty stuff. Uh, so it's really funny to have that element in this show somehow, and they're doing it through this TV show, even though it's still quite violent. It's very pulpy. So, yeah, super excited about that. Super excited about that. So, uh, that is Watchmen Episode 2. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, Tara will be back for Episode 3, as I said earlier. So, let me know what you thought of the episode in the comments below. You can like and subscribe, all that stuff. Get us on the Twitters at mailed underscore fudge for channel updates. If you want to support the show and everything we do here, you can head over to patreon.com slash TV, where you can support us for as little as $1 per month, and you can get some bonuses, exclusives, and get a warm fuzzy feeling and make sure everything keeps coming uh you can of course also support us by rating the podcast on apple podcasts five stars helps us out a lot but lets more people find us spreads the show out a little bit more uh, so you can go do that um otherwise you'll check all the stuff we've got me and connor reviewing mr robot of course the final season of that uh, so check that out uh, you can check out our movie podcast we have screams after midnight which is a horror movie podcast and we have the atomic cinema experiment which is a sci-fi movie podcast uh, the two main consistent shows we have that uh, are ongoing so uh, go and have a look at those things uh, but otherwise that is us so thank you once again for watching or listening we always appreciate it keep watching tv guys have you got any vanilla <laughs>